This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We are still in a pandemic, and we are still in a time when we get to look around at ourselves and say, hey, how have we been living our lives? How have things been going? Are we doing this the right way? And this provides us with this incredible opportunity. And we have talked to so many different people who have taken it upon themselves to say, no, we, we have an opportunity to make some changes where changes need to be made. We have an opportunity to make a big difference in our world so that when it returns to whatever normal it comes back to, it's not the normal we left behind. It's something better. And somebody who has been front and center doing that in the United States is a guy who brought a whole lot of joy to the city of London because the last time he was here, he was helping to lead the London Lightning to an NBL of Canada championship. And he is somebody who is a leader no matter what he's doing. So right now, Royce White doesn't have a basketball in his hand. But he is going to be using those legs that could jump and dunk that basketball, that could jump and deny anybody at the rim. He's going to be using those arms that could make those no-look passes, find guys anywhere on the court. And he's going to be using that entire body to walk from Minneapolis to Washington, D.C. And we're going to find out why he's doing that. Because if you picture a map in your head, think about where Minneapolis, Minnesota is. Okay, it's uh, it's over there toward the left. And Washington, D.C., it's a long way away. Please welcome to London Live, Royce White. Royce, thanks so much for being here. How are things? I'm good, Mike. How are you doing, man? You know what? Uh, I'm missing you watching watching you play basketball, that's for sure. Uh, Those were fun times, but we're on to some really important times right now. And you have kind of, you know, taken this leadership role in some of the things happening in your country, in the United States. Take us back to kind of what brought you to that position of, hey, we've got to do something. Well, I think, you know, my advocacy for mental health has always been – um, something that has me at the forefront of many of these conversations because, you know, as you and I both know and many people now understand the mental health conversation and people's mental health is, uh, you know, a, a fundamental issue in everyone's life around the world. And, and it's definitely a fundamental issue with a lot of these other social issues. So um, I'm always kind of in the in the forefront speaking about social issues from that lens um, this particular situation with George Floyd and Black America, the relationship between cops and civilians, uh, was more personal because Stephen Jackson uh, is a coworker of mine and a friend and brother of mine from the Big Three, and we developed a relationship over last summer um, to where, you know, finding out that George Floyd was basically a brother to him, you know, strung me in. To a different action it gave me a different motivation and then obviously this was my hometown where this happened it took place um and and there was chaos and, and war out there in the streets um you know between the police and the civilians at the third precinct of downtown minneapolis um you know and and, and all throughout the twin cities really so you know it kind of it motivated me in a, in a much different way than i've been motivated before so what sorts of things have you been involved in since the death of George Floyd in terms of getting voices heard? 
yeah, I mean, we've been involved. Well, me personally, I, I led most of the big biggest protests that happened here in the Twin Cities, um, uh, along with some some other members of, of the 10K Foundation. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we probably, you know, our biggest march had like 25,000 people is the one that, uh, you know, made national headlines with the, the oil tanker coming on to the 35W Bridge. Um, you know, we had another march about a week later um, that had probably 18,000 people. And, you know, all in all, it's been probably like fifty to 60,000 people that have come out and marched with us. And, and we're so thankful for that because, you know, it, it can be dangerous potentially. Um, but, you know, um, fortunately for us, it's been nothing but peaceful. We ha- we've had, I think, seven, eight uh, marches, and we haven't had one fight, you know, one uh, burning incident, one, you know, uh, terror attack or anything of the sort. So, you know, we've been very blessed, and, and the spirit of what we're trying to fight for has prevailed. Um, you know, other than that, we've been involved with trying to feed the community, get resources to the community um, in terms of facilitating donations, working with other nonprofits, and just getting involved with the community pretty much at, at all levels, at at all grassroots levels. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we, we – uh, we're we're helping, you know, drive this new pro-black movement forward here in the Twin Cities, and then thinking about abroad as well. Well, let's get to abroad because we're talking with Royce White, who of course helped the London Lightning to an NBL Canada Championship, and now is actually waiting to make his professional debut in mixed martial arts. But at the same time, you've decided to walk from Minneapolis, where you're from, to Washington, D.C., to the head of state. Take us through the decision to do this and what you want to get out of it, Royce. I think that we have to continue to raise the bar for leadership um, in this country and around the world. And I think... um, I think the West and the Westphalian system and the Judeo-Christian ethic that the West was built on um, has a core value of self-sacrifice that I think is being egregiously overlooked um, in, in terms of our everyday practical application of how we engage with society and how and what we look for in our leaders. Um, I see a lot of people you know, doing the popularity contest thing when it comes to being elected. But who's really given an adequate self-sacrifice? And, you know, us as athletes, I think for me, the walk, um, what what sticks out to me is even all of these athletes that want to be involved in social change or have the right intention or their their heart is in the right place, so to speak. Um, We talk about, and we, uh, you know, give euphemisms all the time about in the athletic space, pushing yourself toward the brink of death or, or brushing up against death in order to win, in order to train, in order to compete. Yet, I don't see that same willingness to sacrifice uh, in the realm of social change or activism. And so for me, you know, 1,100-mile walk through unknown territory, um, through very uncertain times with very radical, radical people out there, um, and just the, the, the element of nature itself, that is a brush up against death, and it is to deliver a message to the President of the United States, and it is one about the, the reformation of black America and, and what I believe uh, and, and what some others believe black America needs to look like going forward. Um, and it, it, it includes things like Operation Black Bank, which I wrote a letter to Kyrie Irving about, um, and, you know, the, the reparations 
act that, that has long been on the table for black America, but also some other things that aren't just black America centric, you know, uh, ideas about sovereignty and what the relationship between the state and the people needs to look like in order to uphold the integrity of the, the republic here. So, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into that's going into the walk and the message. But ultimately, at bottom, I think we, we really want to try and set the new standard for what self-sacrifice must look like for our leaders. Royce White joining us. Royce, as a final thing, there is obviously a hope that when you arrive in Washington, D.C., when you arrive at the head of state, that you might have an opportunity to speak with the president of the United States. How optimistic are you? Uh, I mean, you know, look, uh, another thing that, that giving a certain level of sacrifice does, it puts other people in a position to have to be more transparent and come forward about who they are, right? Um, and what I mean by that is once you reach a certain level of self-sacrifice, especially in the physical realm, um, it makes it very hard to gerrymander that. Very, very hard to gerrymander self-sacrifice at a certain level. Um, and if I walk 1,100 miles on foot uh, to meet with the President of the United States as a black man who was at the epicenter of this George Floyd situation, and I can't get an audience with the President of the United States, um, you know, that speaks, that speaks volumes to the State of the Union. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that the logical minds would, would prevail and, and that I would be able to have that audience after making that very long, uh, you know, strenuous, dangerous journey. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if that doesn't happen as well, it's going to be a very, very fruitful journey for myself. And the message is still going to get delivered. So either way, the, 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 the mission will be fulfilled. Royce, keep doing everything that you are doing. It's been great to hear your voice again here in London. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. That's Royce White. He is somebody who has stood up for so many different things, whether it is mental health right now for what is going on in our world in the form of racial injustice. And he's going to walk from Minneapolis to Washington, D.C. And when he arrives at the other end, He's either going to get the ear of people who can listen or, in the end, when, as he says, when a black man can walk a thousand miles and arrive at a destination, even if you don't get an ear, the one that you're looking for, that in itself is saying a whole lot. Tonight, between 5 and 6 o'clock, we are all welcome to take part in an online event called Recovery 2020, Awake, Aware, and Ready. It is free, but they are accepting donations to Adlosa Family Healing Services. And joining us right now to talk about this and to talk about poverty in the city of London is Luis Patricio. Luis, thanks so much for taking some time. How are you doing today? I'm doing, I'm doing great. Good afternoon. Thanks for the opportunity. Let's talk a little bit before we get to how poverty is affecting our city right now in August of 2020. Let's get to tonight's event. What can you tell us about what will be taking place? Well, this is event This event was organized by um, Muhammad Hamoud, but it's really a, a community effort. So we'll have uh, a couple of politicians, Ariel Kayabaga and Kate Graham. We'll have Andrea Jeb from Athlosa, and we have... Um, Javid Sukera, doctor, um, and, uh, and myself from the London Poverty Research Center. 
And we, we want to talk about what we need to do uh, to recover. And, and I'd say, like, recovery is the language that we'd be using, um, but really what we're looking into is a transition. We want to um, find a better normal. We, and, and we understand now that there are so many things that we need to do different, and we want to talk, talk about the things that we need, the, the actions that we need to take in the local level to make this transition so we have an a inclusive, a just, and a green recovery for London, Ontario. This is so good. We started the show today with Royce White, who in the United States is about to walk a thousand miles from Minneapolis to Washington, D.C., because the idea is while we've had a little bit of a pause, while we've had a little bit of a slowdown, as difficult as some things are to deal with, as much as we have the threat of a horrific virus that is out there, we have an opportunity to take stock. We have an opportunity to say, okay, how have we been doing things? What, what works here? What doesn't? And Royce has been a big prom- proponent of the Black Lives Matter movement, and he is making that walk a thousand miles from Minneapolis to Washington, D.C., hoping for that very same thing to say, okay, when we're headed back to what we would call normal, how can it be a better normal? How can it be different? How can we make sure that we don't make the same mistakes and that we don't have the same things that were happening before happening when we get to that point? So so this is fantastic. Luis, in your mind, and we're talking with Luis Patricio right now about awake, aware, and ready. Luis is a research assistant with the London Poverty Research Center. In your mind, what sorts of things do we have to be thinking about and trying to make changes to when we're looking at, at returning to a better normal? So there are a couple of um, – we can I can answer this question in a couple of different ways, Mike. And um, I think we've been doing a great work uh, with the emergency response. We had it in London. Like, we really see the community coming together uh, to help each other and help the most vulnerable and and those are like I like to use the the the, the boat as a, as a concept. So we have a boat that is full of holes, right? And we have people like a lot of people with buckets taking water out of the boat so we don't sink. And like it's we need those people. We need people doing this so we don't sink. So we we save lives. But if we just uh, keep taking water out of the boat and we don't think about fixing the hole then, you know, when a storm comes or a global pandemic, uh, if you will, uh, we need to take shelter and the boat will start sinking again. So when we're talking about a new normal, we have to think um, of the things that we need to do on the ground, uh, like um, providing people with food and and shelter and raising a conversation about... uh, anti-racism in all places, in workplaces, in communities, the gender uh, equality and the domestic violence that spiked and address all those things. But we want to look at the, mo- the more uh, systemic, the root cause of all those problems. And, and then we start talking about, we start thinking about uh, in terms of the economy, which is um, a lot of the work that we've been doing at the center, is to um, imagine a different ownership structure Imagine ways of building an economy with, where everyone have a, a stake, like they are part of the decision-making, they have a fair share of the profits. So we can really address um, unemployment, we can really address the housing crisis, we can really address the equality uh, that takes place in, uh, in a workplace. And we'll talk about this in more detail in the show. And, and I hope 
we get the interest of more people, and then from there we can get the conversation. But we're already working um, with the city, with businesses, with uh, the nonprofit sector, and it really takes a village, it really takes a city uh, to transition into this new normal. This discussion that Luis is talking about is happening tonight. Recovery 2020, awake, aware, and ready to act. If you go to eventbrite.ca, you can register from there, and you simply search Recovery 2020, awake, aware, and ready to act, and you will find that page. Uh, I will also tweet out a link to that page as well at Stubbs980, or give Matt a call, 519-643-2222. Luis, here's, here's a concern. What if we make it through this pandemic and we just kind of fade back into very similar ways of thinking, very similar ways of acting? We don't we don't take advantage of this. Do you ever do you think we'll ever get a chance like this again? Uh, that's that's an interesting question. Like it depends on what you mean by a chance. If you're talking about another global pandemic or another <laughs> another global pandemic. I don't crisis, want that. I, I'd say it's quite probable that we it will happen again and we know second waves already happening around the world and um and there's no reason why other uh viruses or even other problems caused by global warming or, or other uh global crisis won't happen in the future so if if that's the chance you're talking about we probably will have another one but the yeah, thing of is course. my my idea was the chance that i was referring to was hey we've got an opportunity to take stock we've got an opportunity to return to a different normal how big is it that we seize this one so it, it exactly it's, that's what i'm saying and if those if those crises um happen again in the future i think the chance that you're you're talking about the opportunity will be won't be as good as this one because going back to the boat uh it will if we don't fix the inequality issues right now the boat will keep sinking so it's harder to take water out of the boat or even to fix the hole if we're deeper underwater so this is definitely an opportunity that that we need to take right now and uh, just to add you uh, thanks so much for sharing about the event uh the event will be recorded so you if you can't watch at 5 p.m today you can still register and you receive a, a link to watch the recording uh, at a later time at your convenience well, that's perfect that's great. Luis Patricio joining us. He's a research assistant with London Poverty Research Center. And, and Luis, with your connection there, can you give us a sense of, of what we are seeing in terms of our community and how we're being affected by poverty right now, especially during what has been going on the last few months? Well, uh, it, it, it's no secret that uh, London, Ontario, like uh, our um, metropolitan area in Canada is one of the poorest in the, in the country. So we were already um, struggling with the poverty and, and, and homelessness and unemployment before COVID. And of course, uh, with the pandemic, it, it didn't help much. But the one thing that helped, and I think that's what we, we just talked about before, is the Opportunity. It's just the awareness um, that people are start to connect the dots, and you know, it started as a health crisis, but people really realized that it was affecting their social lives, their economic lives, and and all the different aspects, and even tying back also to like to the environment, how all the big cities were just 
cleaner air, less pollution. So how can we keep that and still go back to an economy? So I like to think in terms of we have an economy that is growing even when you're not thriving, even when our society is not thriving. So we need to look into a, uh, a society that is thriving even if our economy is not growing, and there are ways to do that. Are they easy ways, or are we talking about ways that we have to have a lot of commitment to get done? Uh, it will take I'll, – I'll say this. Um, with, with all the changes that are happening in our world right now, um, and we're reaching a limit into many things, like population, all the natural resources, oil and gas and mining and everything else, the – Slowing down is inevitable. So we have two choices. We plan for it and we do the transition so it will be easier. Even, even though it takes a collective effort, we all need to be aware, awake, aware, and ready to act. We all need to, to do this. Or we just try to ignore and then the, the transition will happen in a more uh, drastic way. So it's uh, really, it, it's, we can't avoid that, but we can choose how we will make this transition. Well said. Luis, thank you so much. It's been great to talk with you today. Thank you for your role in putting this together. And again, if you can't see it from 5 until 6, still register and you'll be sent a link and you can watch it because you've put together some fantastic speakers. Kate Graham, I know, brand new mom, congratulations, and she's still yes, taking part yes in in this and we'll no doubt have some tremendous things to say Luis all the best you keep safe and I hope we talk again yes thank you Mike have a good one that's Luis Patricio Luis is a part of Awake Aware and Ready we have an opportunity right now to speak with the Director of Education with the London District Catholic School Board to look back at what they dealt with last night and how their meeting went. Please welcome to London Live, Linda Stott. Linda, thanks so much for taking some time for us. Uh, how was last night's meeting? Actually, it was, uh, it was very good. Um, we had the opportunity uh, to present to the trustees and to the public um, a plan that we have been developing uh, to make possible uh, the safest possible return for students uh, to our schools. And the questions uh, from the trustees uh, were excellent, and they were responding to inquiries that they themselves had received from parents. And in terms of those inquiries, w would you say that those have been numerous, or are you, are you getting just you know a few every once in a while, or are they all asking similar questions? How would you pinpoint a description of those? I think... Um, what they're looking for is what will school look like um, when we come back and how are you doing everything possible in terms of the health and safety. So I think that the main message, um, and it is in our plan, that the same strategies that have worked uh, in the community to bring down the spread of COVID are the same key strategies that the health officials are telling us uh, to focus on. So the masking. So when um, students come in, when staff come in, uh, any student from grade four and up is going to be wearing a mask. 
and all of our staff will be wearing a mask. Uh, you're going to see the hand sanitizers in the entry to the building, into the entry to the classrooms. You're going to see the signage um, that is directing you to practice that social distancing. And when you get into the classrooms, we're going to have the, um, the desks spread out as, um, as much as we, we possibly can. So all of, um, the, and I should say, the other big thing that they will see and notice is how we're keeping um, the classes together. And we're calling them sort of bubbles. And normally, a student would be able to interact with other students in other classes. And that's not going to be the reality. So they're going to be uh, a separate bubble, and we'll do the physical distancing. Um, they'll see in the morning when they come in, uh, there will be a, a staggered entry. Uh, the same thing will happen at lunch and recess. So all of those um, procedures and practices uh, to support um, that safe return uh, they will see, and hopefully, many of the questions that they had um, will be answered. And we're really looking forward to just welcoming everybody back. Uh, we haven't seen our students since uh, since March. We're talking with Linda Stott, Director of Education with the London District Catholic School Board. And we'll get to a few things. You mentioned recess. We'll have to address recess, but even staggered entry. Linda, if there's information that parents could give to their students, especially if we're talking younger kids that will kind of make this transition a little easier, what sorts of things do you want them to start to enforce to their kids about returning to school? I, the, the first thing that will be the biggest difference, and it'll be a, a new routine, is the wearing of masks. Uh, that is not something that they will have been accustomed to wearing all day. So reinforcing, uh, you know, with, uh, with their children uh, the importance of wearing the mask, um, the hand hygiene, uh, the, the hand washing, uh, all of those good practices. And when they then come into the school, um, what our teachers then will take over and reinforce those very same things but now also introduce the new procedures in the school. Um, they will, with the, with the entry right now, um, we will let the, the students know how that will be done so that when they're, when they're waiting in line, and I think the, the schools already have that sort of mapped out outside, it's the same thing as if you're waiting um, outside perhaps at, uh, at a grocery store. You see the two-meter distance lines. And just um, reinforcing with them that we have to honor those, uh, those new procedures. And, it, yeah, it'll be different. And um, there'll be a few more routines that the teachers are um, sharing with their students. Uh, but together, um, we'll learn this, this new routine. That word recess. Linda, it's time to bring it up. How does recess work? Uh, we're working on that. Um, what will likely happen is that, as it is right now, uh, there's different parts of the, the schoolyard where you would have your primary students, your junior and intermediate. That will continue, um, but 
we may not have everybody have recess at the same time as they as they normally would. So again, it's just practicing um, that physical distancing and staying with your cohort and staying with that with that with that bubble. So there'll be instructions on that and the timing of those um, recesses and lunches will probably happen, you know, as they do now in their uh, in their classroom. Um, we're going to ask them for a litterless lunch, and we're going to ask them whatever you're bringing in uh, in the morning uh, that you don't eat, you're bringing back at home. So anything that um, that we can do that doesn't um, doesn't cause further spread in terms of all of the um, the good practices that we know that uh, that work in uh, during this time of COVID. Linda Stott joining us, Director of Education with the London District Catholic School Board as we talk about their meeting last night and then what has to happen going forward. Uh, Linda, for anyone who has a student in the London District Catholic School Board, what is the procedure for letting the board know that the student is coming in person or looking at doing online learning in the fall? Well, thank you for that. So this morning, so after we presented to the trustees last evening, so this morning, all of our families will have received, uh, we use School Messenger. It's the, uh, the tool we use uh, to phone, email uh, our parents. They will have received a message from us um, sharing the plan and a letter um, outlining that the, there's a survey attached, and the survey uh, begins today, and they have one week. And so we're asking them, once they read um, all of the, um, basically the document that we presented to them and they read through it, then we're going to be asking them if their child will be returning to, uh, to in-classroom learning or are they choosing the, uh, the full remote. What about for younger students? They will not be required to wear masks. Sometimes it can be very challenging for a teacher to have a, a number of young kids and and keep them apart and keep them doing what they're doing. Any suggestions that you can make for parents who may have the, the really little ones to try and get them ready for what they're going to be facing? Yeah, I, and that's a, that is an excellent question. And I think um, the parents know um, what their classes, and they heard it from their kids, what it looks like right now. Um, I think the best advice is, um, follow the direction of your of your teachers. So, our teachers are figuring out what are those different ways of doing things in the classroom right now that we can still proceed with the learning, but also honors the distancing. So, um, let me give you an example. So, in a kindergarten classroom, we might have had a sand table um, where you had a number of kids uh, working on it that probably uh, will not be there any longer. Uh, the sharing of toys. Um, so we're putting in the, the different processes and it'll be for them following the direction um, of their teacher. We're still going to give them a rich learning experience. It's just some of the, the ways in which they would have had engaged um, with, their, um, with their fellow classmates will look different. 
Okay. All right. So parents need to look for that survey, complete that survey, let the board know exactly what their plans are for the fall. And that needs to be completed again by when? So a week from today. So we've put it out um, today, which is the 13th, and we're asking that it's returned by the 20th next Thursday. Okay. Anything else we need to know, you think, Linda, before we leave this particular conversation? We have the education minister speaking this afternoon. Anything you hope you hear? Uh, Not exactly sure what we're going to hear, so we're waiting uh, with everybody else. And I think the main message to parents is um, we're really looking forward uh, to being back uh, to school with their kids. And as the plan will outline, we have really addressed... um, a variety of issues to make sure that uh, our schools are as safe uh, as possible uh, for their children and for our staff. And like I said, we're just we're really looking forward to uh, to being back, but being back in a very safe and healthy way. Linda, you keep safe. Thanks so much for the update. Okay, thank you. That's Linda Stott. Linda is the director of education with the London District Catholic School Board, and. You know, as a, as a parent or as a guardian, you know what you want. You want complete certainty, right? We all do. You want complete certainty that your child is going to be safe. That's what you want, especially now. And first of all, that's never a thing that we can ask for because you can't have complete certainty. You can if you bubble wrap your child and keep them at home and never let them out of your sight. But they won't live much of a life if you do that. That's you got to jump off a cliff every once in a while. Uh, but in and and I mean that you know into into water or uh, or those sorts of things. Um, but in this case, I mean, it's going to come down to parents being able to say they've done as good a job as they can. Education doesn't fit perfectly within the lines of a pandemic. It doesn't, and it's not going to. And the behaviors that students have to exhibit for all of this to work well, yeah, some students are going to get it, some aren't. And that's a fact of life as well. And so it has to come down to they've done everything they can. And the question will be ultimately up to parents, is that enough for you? They've looked at it. If you put yourself in their shoes, they have looked at it. They've done everything they can within their own parameters. You can look at the government and say, well, they should be doing a whole lot more. They should be spending more. Maybe that's what we find out today at 345. Maybe they're going to. We're all waiting, as Linda says. You'll hear it on Global News Radio on the afternoon show with Jess Brady. You'll hear Education Minister Stephen Lecce. We'll make sure of that. But it may come down to, this is as good as it can be. Question is, is it enough? If you're a parent, how are you feeling? Shoot me an email, mike at 980cfpl.ca. I'm a parent. I've got some reservations. I've got a a child in post-secondary. I've got a child in, you know, in secondary school. Yeah, I've, I've got reservations for both of them. I've got concerns for both of them. But ultimately, is it going to be as safe as it can be? Does the fact that they need to go back to school and, and need to learn in a, in a kind of hands-on, face-to-face way, does that matter? Yeah, that matters a lot. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.